and welcome. You are listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. We really hope that you enjoy and benefit from this episode. So, hello, folks, and welcome to yet another episode from the Sales Chat Show, saleschatshow.com, driving your sales forward. I am Simon Hazeldean, and in the virtual Sales Chat Show studio, I am joined, as always, by the Sales Chat Show posse, Mr. Graham Jones, Mr. Phil Jessen, and this episode is entitled... The painful reality of recent customer research says that most salespeople are selfish. Are you one of them? Now, that's a worrying, what a worrying statement to say, are you selfish? Customers regarding salespeople are selfish. Well, we've been looking with great interest at the LinkedIn state of sales report and you know, we, we've said probably more often than anything else on the sales chat show, get out your own head, get inside the customer head, put the customer first, focus on the customer's objectives. I almost feel like we're sounding like, you know, we say sometimes, you know, when we're talking about what we're going to record in an episode, have we, have we not done this topic to death, chaps? Can't we surely, surely they must have got the message, right? We don't need to keep saying it. Well, According to this data, it's not got any better, folks. So 60% of sellers say in the in the survey they always, in inverted commas, put the buyer first. Oh, that sounds good. Only 24% of buyers agree with that statement that sellers always put them first. So what's that? Three quarters of them don't think sellers are putting them first. But interestingly, if you dig a little bit further into the research, why this is why is this important is that when they look at top performers and they're defining that as top performers being sellers who meet their, their quota or target by 125% or higher, or oh, I've mentioned sales targets, Graham will start getting unhappy um, about that topic. He doesn't like sales targets, Mr. Jones. Um, but the top performers, all joking aside, are more likely to say that they always put the buyer first. So, hey, there's a clue, right? Success leaves clues. Top performers are saying they are more likely to always put the buyer first. So, guys, we talked about this for a number of years on the sales chat show. We talked about the importance. Despite our valiant efforts, it hasn't got any better. What's going on, folks? What's your Phil Graham? This situation is as looks as bad as it's always been, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And um, I think that the research uh, that LinkedIn have done um, shows that even though people think they are putting the customer first, they clearly aren't in most no. cases. So you asked at the beginning, are you one of them? There is a three quarters, 75% chance that you are one of the people who thinks they put the customer first, yeah. but actually the customer does not agree with you. They don't think you're putting them first. And it, I always liken it to a um, speed dating event. 
that if you go to a speed dating event and that you want to have a date at the end of the evening, there you are, you're one of the dozen people that this other person is going to, who's uh, you're going to potentially date with, you've got three minutes with them uh, before you move on to the next person. And if all you do is spend the three minutes talking about yourself, you're not going to get the date. And actually research, I think it was King's College did this research, if I remember correctly, uh, looking at speed dating and showed that the people who get the dates and the people who get the most dates, and in fact, the ones where the relationships last are the ones who don't tell the other person anything about themselves. They spend the entire three minutes talking about the person they've just met, asking them questions and finding out about them. And what that means is the person who you're potentially dating with is left knowing one thing and one thing only about that person, and that is that you're interested in them. Um, and that's salespeople who spend their time talking about their company and um, you know focusing it from their position. One of the interesting things that the study shows is that it isn't about having a tactic of putting the customers first. It's about having a philosophy. Yes. So you can see that the philosophy of not putting the customer first exists in almost every organization I've met with because they have slide decks that you go to and you use to deliver your sales presentation. Having centralized sales decks demonstrates quite clearly that your philosophy is putting your company first and not the other company. Yeah. And so if you have got the philosophy of customer first, your organization will not have centralized slide decks. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think I don't I don't have a major problem with companies having collateral that's available to people and, you know, saving salespeople time. But customers can see a canned deck right they can see it coming a mile off right but it's more about the philosophy of the business yeah that's and that and that and yeah i get i get you actually i see i see your point but philosophically speaking that that yeah, you know i, I, will, I, I would like to i would like to support graham on that point if if i may although i should point out i have just also made some notes on my speed dating approach and thank you for that graham i I'm now much wiser on that point. And well, uh, I'm, I'm just delighted to see the uh, King's College yeah. British Academia really focusing Involved. on the most important topics of but, the day, uh, right? No, I, 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 I agree with Graham and the number of clients I've worked with that have actually run a customer-first training program uh, where, as Graham has suggested, you know, customer-first is a short-term campaign that's wrapped up in one calendar year uh, when really this is all about developing this philosophy, as Graham's called it, or a culture, if you want to use that word. And, of course, this issue starts at the top or it will not start. Yes. Yeah. It is as simple as that. So for any sales and marketing director uh, listening to this, then perhaps I could just share uh, three things that I've seen that works very, very successfully in making sure that this customer-led culture does actually work. Um, I liked the client of mine who, upon arrival as the new chief executive, changed all of the job descriptions quite uh, dramatically. And in the case of the salesperson's job description, which was literally whittled down to no more than four or five bullet points, but bullet point number one said, you are the customer's voice 
within our organization. Now, I like that mm-hmm. because by saying you are the customer's voice within our organization, when that salesperson starts to say at a meeting, well, let me just tell you what I'm hearing out in the field, they're not going to be dismissed by the group. Um, they're going to be welcomed by that meeting because clearly that's one of their key roles. Um, another thing that I would uh, that I have seen work very successfully culturally is the involvement of customers in meetings and conferences where they are attending those meetings and conferences and they are invited to tell it how it is. Mm. Um, And then, of course, the group will listen to the customer saying, well, if you really want to know, I think uh, you're falling well short of my expectations and what you can do if you really want to. Uh, win my uh, expectations, be be ahead of my expectations. These are the three things that you need to do. But that not being frightened or worried about bringing customer feedback into the organization. Uh, And the other thing, and this has always been a bit of a hobby horse of mine in the key account management world, is that for organizations who have a top five or a top 10, I sometimes wonder how many of those have been visited by the chief executive during the course of the year. A, to say thank you very much for your business and B, to ask a few pertinent questions whilst they are there. Uh, Sadly, I've worked with chief executives that have gone nowhere near customers, including the key accounts. And that of course is absolutely fatal. So those are just three examples Mm. of things that we can do. There are many more, but those are three examples of things that we can do to create this culture, this philosophy, as Graham calls it, to make sure that we're not treating this customer-led thing uh, as a short-term training course. I mean, I used to have a managing director who would frequently go and visit the outlets of our customers and chat to store managers and things like that. And used to, I mean, you know, I don't I don't want to recommend it to all the salespeople if it happens, because you get emails from him. <laughs> I used to get emails and he'd be, he'd be firing questions at all the account managers about, I was in here and a customer said this and so on and so. But he was out all the time, right, showing by his behavior he was, he was doing it. I think the other thing I would suggest to the sales director, sales leaders, sales managers listening <clears throat> is where your focus goes, your people's focus goes. So let's say you're sitting down to do a coaching activity with them and helping them get an opportunity progressed or <clears throat> they're preparing for an important customer meeting. What percentage of your questions are focused from a customer perspective and what a focus from your company perspective because where you ask a question that's where their attention awareness is raised <clears throat> and if it's all about how can we get the price up how much margin are we making how quickly are they going to pay us those sort of questions really different to what is the customer hoping to achieve here and why is this a priority for their organization and if the customer can achieve this what what will that bring to them or what else has the customer said to us that we can you know think about the questions you're asking because that that creates the focus in the mindset of the people the frontline but you know the frontline salespeople and my little hobby horse sometimes is job titles you know business development manager or account manager things like that they're always company focused aren't they right and they mean absolutely nothing absolutely nothing to the to the customer but that's how you introduce yourself don't you so the well, hello i'm your i'm your business development manager as in 
you want to develop your business with me, says the customer, right? So, yeah, I mean, not, you know, I don't want to make too much of it, but it, it's what's that What's that philosophy? No, it's, it's an important point. I think that that's absolutely right. Don't be trite about it, but it's about the philosophy, the culture, yeah. isn't it, of the organisation, you know? I don't know if you've heard of it, but there's a very big online shop um, it's got the same name as a river. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but um, their staff who are responsible effectively for selling are called brand specialists. So the idea is then that you are the specialist who helps that brand. Mm, yeah. So that it's very much Phil's point. It's about you're the inside voice of the brands that you're dealing with Mm. Um, and so that's an indication of their philosophy about the way they see selling and I remember I worked for um, a toy and children's furniture manufacturer um, in the UK and um, I remember going to their offices for the first time and I was quite amazed because it looked like, a, you know, a showroom. It looked like you brought the Argos catalogue to life, you know, the children's section of the Argos yes. catalogue. The Argos catalogue for our American visitors is a, a shopping catalogue. Um, so it used to be in print. Now it's online. Um, very popular store in the UK. Um, and it was a bit like living in the, Ar- the children's section of the Argos catalogue. And to get to the meeting room, you had to go down a slide. So you had to go down a children's slide to get in the meeting room. And then you sat at, you know, desks that were like Disney themed and so on. And all around you was the various furniture that they were selling. And when I asked them, why is this like this? They said, well, this is what our customers experience. If we don't experience it, how can we understand our customers? And so it was absolutely fundamental to their approach and their way of thinking was that if you don't see it from the customer's perspective the whole time, it does just become then an exercise in ticking a box. And I've seen that in meetings. I was saying earlier that I have sat in meetings with, you know, sales meetings with people saying, you know, telling them how customer focused they are, where the slides have got the logos on of the previous client that they were trying to, um, to win business with. And it just shows they were so uncustomer focus they hadn't even noticed the wrong logo on the slides you mentioned disney then a few moments ago there's a lovely story about walt disney when when they were first building i think the first disneyland which is i think it was california and there's a story that one of the team found walt disney walking around the site and found him on his hands and knees and he obviously thought he'd fallen over or he was you know he's injured or something and he said, you know, Mr. Disney, are you okay? What on earth? What? And he said, hey, I'm fine. He said, I just want to see what the mountain, the magic mountain, the big thing in the middle of the day. I said, I want to see what it looks like from a five-year-old's perspective. Because yeah. he understood if he wins the kids, the parents are going to spend the money and going to come back. Yeah. So his whole, and, and, and I think when people have talked about, <clears throat> he'd apparently in meetings, he put himself in the perspective of the audience watching Snow White or whatever, he'd be thinking about it all the time from his customer's perspective. And that probably that philosophy is, I guess, one of the reasons Disney is such to this day, you know, such a such a successful corporation. But yeah. it is it is a culture, it's a philosophy thing. You know, there is the the idea that, you know, they can copy your products, they can copy your services, but it's like 
culture as a competitive source of competitive strategic advantage, isn't it? You can't copy that culture. And and if you see those top performers, that success leaves clues. The top performers are doing it. And I would suggest that's why they're the top performers, amongst other yeah. factors, I'm sure. But the customers get a different sales experience. And the way you behave in the selling process is how they'll think you're going to be when they become a customer. And, you know, if they see customer focus in the selling process, they'll think you're going to get great service because you're going to be customer focused once they sign on the dotted. I go on cruise holidays every year, or at least last year I didn't. But um, so, uh, and I remember speaking to, we've got to know some of the waiters and so on very well they're friends on facebook and we follow them and their travels around the world and so on so they've become friends of ours and um i remember asking one of these guys why he did the job because it's not the best paid job in the world to be a waiter yeah. on a cruise ship um but they get good tips and they have a lovely life they're away from home for nine months at a time but they enjoy what they're doing and i said why do you work for this company and he said, because it's the best company to work for on the seas in terms of cruise ships, because they really look after their staff. Um, and I said, but the pay's not great, is it? He said, no, the pay's not great. He said, but the one thing that happens here is that we understand our customers. And that's why we enjoy working here, because they get on with us. You get on with us. Other cruise lines don't do that. And I said, what do they do that's different with this cruise line? They said, the one thing they do is they make us be customers. So when the cruise ship is moving from one place to another, when it's not having um, you know, customers on board, members of the crew have to go and be passengers. And they learn what it's like to be served in the restaurant. They learn what it's like to be in the rooms and have the cleaner knocking on the door. You know, the, so they experience being a passenger. And he said, that's made all the difference. And that's why people want to be on this cruise line, because they make us see it from the customer's perspective, because we experience it. Okay, they haven't had to pay, so they've not experienced the pain of the payment, but they experience what it's like to be a customer. And when they on, on a new cruise ship is launched, they put crew on to experience being a customer. It also helps them iron out any you know, rough edges in terms of delivery of service um, because they need to experience what the new ship is like, you know, so how long it takes to do something on the different size of the ship, for example. So um, that's an example of this philosophy. They're in international business, there's a theory of what's called centricity. Um, and so an ethnocentric company is one that the international headquarters dictates to the rest of the world what will be done. So they're seeing it from their own ethnic perspective. You know, so we're an American business and it doesn't matter where we are in the world, you do as we're told. We've seen lots of failures with that. Starbucks took that approach and completely failed in Australia um, because the Australian coffee market is completely different to the American coffee market. And so they made a right mess of that. Other companies are called geocentric, and those international companies allow each of the different nations to run according to the cultural needs of that particular country. And those businesses do really well. It's interesting one. And on your your comment about the, those that wonderful practice in the cruise ship, a good friend of mine 
a number of years ago was doing some customer experience consultancy with, I won't mention the museum, but let's just say everybody's heard of it. And it's, you know, it's one of the most popular in London. And he got some of the senior leaders and apparently really interesting. It was, this was quite a revelation to them coming in the front door and queuing up and going through the entire procedure of entering the building and go, and he literally got the walking around as though they were the customers. It's almost exactly the same as I think the cruise ship. And he said they, they, the ideas they generated to make it easier, to make it yeah. better by literally walking around the exhibits as though they were a customer rather than from the perspective of, of, of lead management team of the it's a phenomenal thing a very simple but taking that customer's perspective you know i think is powerful but like i say phil just to reiterate first of all, it starts at the top right and this absolutely has to be it starts at the be. top or it will not start yeah it's a great it's a great great point so i think where we've kind of ended up with this is is actually we would encourage you all to think about what is your company's culture and philosophy with regards to this, and then have a look and see those beliefs of ways of working, the values of your organization are going to affect people, the way people behave. And it's the behaviors that the customer sees and draws their, draws their opinion on. So maybe reflect on your behavior over the last week and what percentage of the time was your spotlight on the customer and what percentage of your time was a spotlight on your own your own company? And I think it's it's more of a it's, it has to be a philosophy, doesn't it? And an approach, not just a tactical. Let's make sure we mention the customer's name in the presentation, right? Because <laughs> you may mention the customer's name in the presentation, but the rest of the presentation will will ooze self orientation, not customer orientation, because it'll been written from that from that kind of mindset i guess uh, gentlemen any any uh, other closing thoughts on this what do you think there's just, anything uh, just just one more in the in, in the cultural department and I, and I think we've mentioned this before in fact i think it might have been a graham comment on a previous uh, session but a lot of companies these days are allowing their frontline customer service staff to take immediate action in the event of a problem up to yeah. the value of, and I'll just pick a figure, up to the value of £500 or whatever. So yeah. if a service provider has detected a very unhappy customer today, uh, then they might, uh, for example, send a card and a bunch of flowers. That might be appropriate. Or they might say, okay, no, this is a £500 refund. Uh, and I'm putting it all on that, and I'm doing that now. And they yeah. will tell the customer they are doing that there and then. So giving people at the front line that level of autonomy and control, uh, I think, yeah. is another ingredient of that of that culture. I think that relates, though, Phil, to the, that empowerment that they have is related to what the person at the top thinks. Mm. So. The person at the top, if you if you have that kind of notion that, you know, I run this business and this business does this, and then ultimately we get customers, it is that centralized control that means then you don't give up that control to your staff. Whereas if you've got somebody at the top who thinks it's all about looking after the customers, then actually you empower your staff because you don't care what they do. So Zappos yeah. is a very good example of this. It's an Amazon company. Yeah. Amazon bought the company to learn 
how they were doing so brilliantly with customer service. And, yeah, because they're legendary, aren't they? Yeah. We're and so, <clears throat> and Amazon transformed its customer service as a result of what it learned from, from Zappos. And that was where the chief executive, the guy who uh, set the business up, um, who's sadly no longer with us, but um, he uh, set the business up and it was entirely, you know, we empower everybody to do anything they like to deal with the customer because it's the customer that matters, not the business. Yeah. And if you've got a, if you've got that approach, the business does really well. Yeah. Whereas if you focus on I'm the person in charge and you do as you're told, yeah. inevitably that rarely works. Yeah. There is um there's a company here in the UK, folks, that uh, I think only only operates in the UK. It's called Timpsons. It's a very unglamorous business. They repair shoes, they do dry cleaning, they uh, cut keys for people, they do all of that, all of that kind of stuff. Have these have these little units often in high streets and in, in front of supermarkets. <clears throat> and they have an amazing CEO. I'd I'd love to know how profitable this company is, but it's in private ownership. So that's that's you're never going to find out. But <laughs> anything you see tells you it's, it's going to be hugely successful. And there was this there's a sign in the door of the shop with a CEO's uh, picture and name, and it says the, the staff in this store have my complete and total authority to do whatever is right to provide our customers with a great experience. I'm not quoting it exactly, but that's a, basically Fred who's fixing your shoes or Susan who's cutting your key has the authority of the CEO to look after the customers and make decisions so they're empowered. It's probably maybe influenced by Zappos, I don't know, but, but that you know they've got it absolutely spot on which is the reason they've probably got such high degrees of customer yeah. <clears throat> customer loyalty so fantastic but hopefully, hopefully that's given you some food for thought folks and if if you're a bit further down the, the hierarchy in your organization um why don't you send a copy of this episode link to this episode to some of your senior folks and see if uh, you know maybe suggest they might want to listen to it because you maybe think your organization could could, could better because yeah if it doesn't start at the top it doesn't start but leadership is an attitude right not a position you occupy so if you maybe think your organization's not got sufficient customer first focus then be the person maybe who starts who agitates for it because it'll be good for your sales at the end of the day right the more you focus on the customer the easier it gets easier it gets to gain gain business from them folks so thank you very much for listening in there's over 200 plus episodes now a sales chat show in the back catalog you'll find them all from wherever you choose and prefer to get your podcast on all the major podcast platforms and you can find all the information and the episodes as well as our website saleschatshow.com until then then we'd just like to wish you good luck and good selling, folks. You have been listening to an episode of The Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. And from everyone here at The Sales Chat Show, we'd like to wish you good luck and good selling. Good.